Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. If this is your first time, we want to give a special welcome to you and say thanks for stopping by and checking us out. And we, it's the second week of Advent. And so a couple of things I want to share with you. One, we're using our Advent season this year to raise awareness for Compassion International. And here in the lobby, we have a tree. And there's actually a link here in the worship notes if you'd like to participate. Various things that you can, from a goat that you could purchase or to Bibles or vaccinations, all sorts of things. But as we journey to Advent, I also want to point out that we have a special website that we've put together called Christmas in Mansfield. Uh, you can access it via christmasinmansfield.net. And you can subscribe, and each day we're posting a thoughtful, short reflection on some scripture out of the book of Isaiah, talking about the coming of Jesus. And I think you'll be encouraged by it, and so I would encourage you to click on the link here in the worship notes and check that out. Like sheep that wander too far from the shepherd, we also lose our way. And once ensnared by the thicket, all we long for is our release. What did God pay for this ransom? He sent us his son. this series called The Call of Christmas. And just a little refresher, last week in week one, we looked at the story of Gabriel coming to Zechariah and, and the story of he and Elizabeth, the coming of John the Baptist, all that took place around that and the idea of preparing for God's coming in the flesh, in the incarnation, in Jesus. And this week we're going to look at the story of Mary, how Mary was called to provide literally the home, uh, the womb for the coming of Jesus in the flesh. But let's check out this story. In the ancient writings, a savior was prophesied. This would bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And it was written long ago that God would give us a sign. A young girl would conceive, though never having been with a man, and she would give birth to a baby boy. He would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mother? Father? You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Do 
not be afraid. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. For nothing is impossible with God. I am a servant of the Lord. May everything you have said about me come true. A young woman says yes to the unimaginable. Her story is not the first, nor the last, when God will ask great things of his people. And when we say yes, it can change everything. A couple gentlemen, you may not know their names, uh, but they are uh, names that are important to our story this morning, William Cook and Charles Wheatstone. They lived in the 1800s. They are credited with the breakthrough technology and communications that enabled the first telegram to be sent via the electronic telegraph system. And, and then in the, the late 1830s, 1838 to be precise, a name you probably do know, Samuel Morris, he sent the first telegram uh, in the United States, and it went across two miles of wire at a place in, near Morristown, New Jersey. And it's interesting that while the telegram continued to gain momentum as a, as a means of how to get messages to people, it was interesting how people became anxious when a telegram came because usually a telegram arrived when it wasn't the best of circumstances. It was usually uh, the bearer of bad news. For example, that someone has passed, that a death has occurred or that some terrible accident has taken place, or that somehow a sickness has spread, or, or that even that a war has begun. And I, I think the idea of getting tragic news in short bursts is just something hard to process. In 1933, a company by the name of Western Union, a name you may remember, they were the American Telegraph Company, began offering what they called singing telegrams. And as a, it was a way to, for people to receive messages that were a lot more enjoyable and even some fun. First guy that sort of leveraged it was a guy by the name of George Olson, and he was a public relations guy who worked at Western Union, and he's the one that's credited with this new twist on how to receive messages. And so suddenly the idea of getting a message turns into something that's a little more exciting and even popular to get a singing telegram on your front door. It began when Mr. Olson asked a Western Union operator by the name of Lucille Lips, kind of an interesting play there, right? to uh, sing a message over the telephone. This message became the first singing telegram. And then from that day forward, an entire industry was born that enabled messages to be sent and received 
in a very creative way with flair and fanfare and even, I'm guessing, some embarrassment at times. I guess I'm glad that God didn't use a singing telegram to deliver the message of the coming Messiah to Mary because I'm not sure how Mary would have responded to it. But we do have for us here in Scripture, the angel's arrival is anything but ordinary or even mundane. So there's a uniqueness to it. Again, we're looking at the Gospel of Luke, uh, Dr. Luke, and he records this unexpected message that came again by Gabriel, the angel, and Mary was the one to receive it. And at this time, she's a young woman, probably 13 or 14 years of age. She's from the town of Nazareth. It was the opposite of bad news. In fact, it became the start of what we know as the gospel, the good news. It was the gospel that would lead to salvation for all who would receive it into their lives as a personal message. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. He was of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of this kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That's Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. This message from the angel was anything but tragic or sad. It was incredible. It was unbelievable news that from the lips of Gabriel to the ears of Mary was this call today we're going to talk about to provide. You know, it's amazing how I think every Jewish girl probably dreamed and, and prayed of the privilege it would be for her to carry the Son of God, to be the one to carry and to provide the long awaited Messiah for God's people. Now remember, it's been 400 years since God's people have really heard him speak. And so now this is what's taking place. The thought of being chosen to be a part of that plan would provide the rescuer and the redeemer and the savior for Israel was a hope and a future any young Jewish woman would be honored to experience. And it's just like God to extend the call of Christmas, as we're talking, to come forth from this place, from a person and from circumstances that we see in today's story. Now, verse 26 is what sets the stage for us. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. The city of Nazareth is quite a contrast to the city of Jerusalem which was the staging ground for what we read last week in chapter one of Luke. If a city was to provide a carrier for the Messiah, it seems like Jerusalem would be the much more natural choice to be made. Jerusalem was the center of the Jewish world. Nazareth was literally off the beaten path. Check out this map here. Jerusalem was accessible by trade routes, but if you wanted to go to Nazareth, you had to want to go to Nazareth to get there. Jerusalem was seen as a significant town and Nazareth, well, not so much. It was, was seemed as being a place that was insignificant. 
In fact, John chapter 1, verse 46 gives sort of a perspective that they had on Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? John says. And at the same time, too, the region of Galilee was such a contrast to the region of Judea. The former was out in the country, but the latter had a wilderness, but was known for the big city. Galilee was rough around the edges and anything but kosher in their kitchens. Judea was much more polished and prim and proper, and they followed all the religious rules there. But at the end of the day, God sends an angel both to Jerusalem to give a message to a priest in the temple, just as quickly as he seeks out a quaint little town on the outskirts of the country hills in Nazareth for a visitation. Which I think really says that all the real estate on earth is an equal opportunity for God to do something great and a place to call to provide for the next part of his plan. God will do as he pleases. No matter if you live in the big city or the big country, on the right side of the tracks or on the wrong side, in the high tax bracket neighborhood or in the below the poverty line, here's what I want you to hear is that God knows where you are and he knows how to send a message your way. And so even this Christmas, I think he's calling each of us to a new understanding of what he wants to do. In fact, I want to say that wherever you are this Christmas, wherever you find yourself, literally physically or even emotionally and spiritually, God is going to use you to be a part of his plan to do his will in this new season. And you know what? You're never off the grid when it comes to God. And he's always aware of your location. He, his GPS never goes down. He is aware of your whereabouts, and he has plans for you regardless of where you come from or where you live. We continue here with verse 27, where it goes on to tell us about the one with the womb who could be called upon to provide the Savior would be a most unlikely candidate in the eyes of the world. Again, he says, God sent Gabriel to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, words are important here. We know Dr. Luke wants to pay attention. And so the fact that he states that Mary was betrothed to Joseph meant that they were not merely engaged. There's actually a deeper relationship here. In fact, in Jewish culture, engagement resulted in almost a marital status, which even though they didn't consummate it, it was a sacred thing, uh, as sacred as marriage itself. The consummation would come later on the honeymoon, but the commitment and the covenant were just as strong beforehand in the eyes of the culture and in people in that time. The fact that she's signified as a virgin takes us back to the prophecy of the Messiah from the book of Isaiah that all the Jews would be aware of in that day. In fact, Isaiah chapter 7 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So again, Luke wants us to see the details here, and he ties it back to the Old Testament prophecy, and he does it in such a way as if almost to say to all his readers, here's your sign, pay attention. And then Luke goes on to unfurl what God's messenger, the angel Gabriel, says to Mary upon his arrival in the next verse, verse 28. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, I want to say something here very clearly is that the more things change, more things stay the same, right? What I mean by that is that while this salvation from the angel, Gabriel, looks like it's something unique at first glance, it's actually very similar to the way the angel of the Lord greeted other unsuspecting individuals with a mighty call to provide. It was the way God talked to his people. In the book of Judges in the Old Testament, we see God call a man named Gideon to a great task that would save his people from the oppressive Midianites. In chapter 6, verse 12, the scene is recorded. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. 
Well, the message from the angel for both Gideon and for Mary includes this reminder that the Lord is with you. And the name stated, as we read earlier in Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 7, verse 14, for the coming Messiah was this word Emmanuel. That was his name. And that word means God with us. The Lord is with you. And so the call of Christmas is a reminder for all of us that the Lord is with you. And in this story this morning, as we look at Mary, it's the call of Mary is a call to provide. Now, only a favored one in the eyes of God would be given the privilege and the call to provide the Christ child who soon would be with us in the form of a baby from her womb. The fact that she was a virgin would mean God would have to be the one to create it inside of her, this one she was being called to provide for, the one that would be the, bringing the salvation of the world. Now, such a call to motherhood in this kind of fashion is crazy, and I think it would actually be pretty frightening to consider. We talked about that at Bible study today. But the appearance and the speaking from an angelic visitor would also cause one to be a little bit full of fear too, right? And we continue on with verse 29 where we get this kind of confirmation and this kind of emotion that we find. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Verses 29 through 33. We know that names are an important thing, and they can be indicative of what a parent hopes for with their child. And this name certainly would stir up the hopes of God's people, right? The name Jesus means the Lord is salvation. She was being called to provide the womb and the nurturing motherhood for the salvation that would be put in her provided place from the Lord. She was not the one who was the source of such grace, as some have supposed. It was God who chose to put his favor on her and create the salvation source in her that would be provided through her because of the goodness and the favor from God. So a little deep theological understanding here this morning, the truth that we need to see is that Mary by herself could not have produced a son. But God, the creator of the universe, could give her one whose name, Jesus, means God saves. Now, this is in essence what the gospel is all about, to be reminded that there's nothing we as humans can produce on our own, that we can't produce our own salvation. That's why Jesus has to come. But when we look to our Heavenly Father, we look to God, he can, has chosen to accomplish it all for us and for humanity through the work of what Jesus will ultimately do on the cross. God just desired for the call of Christmas to come through the womb of a virgin from a remote country village. And so again, Mary's call, it was a call to provide, and it was a call to provide what God had decided. She provided herself as a willing servant, and God's going to do the rest. So let's take a look at a video here. So you can see as Mary is processing this message she's received from the angel Gabriel, one that was certainly no singing telegram, if you will. She did so by asking a very logical question. She knew that she hadn't been with Joseph or with any man, as far as that goes, because she knew what it would take to lead to a conception in her own womb. And so Mary responds here in verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now I wanna suggest that this is not a statement of unbelief. 
but rather it was a question from her trying to understand and process what God was doing. Now, I think one of the things you need to see from here that can be an encouragement for all of us is that I don't think God ever gets tired or even frustrated with our honest questions. In fact, I think he invites us to stay curious as we grow in our faith, as we seek to understand who he is and what he wants us to do and what he wants us to do with our lives. Now, Mary was going to have to trust God with the details. Man, isn't that true for all of us in so many different circumstances in life? And here a promise was being made to Mary that could only come to the true fulfillment if God showed up and if God provided the details. And so Mary was being called into the promise. Her part was to provide the womb that would lead to the legacy of salvation from sin and death and Satan and hell. And God provides the details. Mary provided her life as real estate, if you will, to be claimed by God, to be developed and turned into a home base for the fulfillment of the promise to take place, the Messiah to come. It was hers to be a call to provide. And only God had the power to do it and to make the promise come true. Mary had the opportunity to join God in what we're calling the call of Christmas. And what's important to see here is that the angel Gabriel actually explains God's plan to Mary's question of this issue of how. And so Gabriel says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, what's interesting here, again, is Luke writes about this conversation. He mentions the Holy Spirit just as he did earlier in verse 15. And he does it actually six more times in the first two chapters of his gospel. In verse 41, in verse 67, in verse 80, and then in chapter 2, verses 25, 26, and 27. Luke does this for a reason. To him, it's so important that we don't miss this as we read this. To forget the call of Christmas is something that's wrapped in the activity and the working of the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 35, we see not only the reference to the Holy Spirit is going to come upon Mary with this incredible detail of how this promise is going to come to fruition, our writer, Luke, also notes that God's power is going to overshadow Mary in the process. The word for overshadow in the original language is episkizio. Can you say that? Episkizio. Teach you a little Greek here this morning. And this word episkizio, it carries with it the sense of the holy, of the powerful, of the presence of God. It's actually the same meaning uh, that this word has is how in the Old Testament, when the cloud that moved with the Israelites covered and overshadowed the tabernacle, when the tent was filled with what we call the glory of God. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 40. In fact, it says here, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So it's important that as Luke draws on this, that the same imagery, if you will, and, and the same feel and emotion of how the presence of God is described in the Old Testament is exactly the same imagery and the feel that Luke wants us to have when he uses this word overshadowed here in the details of Gabriel's message to Mary. And so God's presence, his presence to the Holy Spirit is going to be something that's thick and it's going to be at work in such a way that it's going to be very clear that something holy is happening in our midst. Now, there are places on the earth where the moment 
you walk into it, there is a sense that you're standing on holy ground. And if you've ever been to the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., it's this magnificent cathedral with high ceilings and flying buttresses. And even when Melinda and I were in London years ago, the same kind of feel at Westminster Abbey, where there's just something that you know when you walk into it that's grand. You see, it's the great cathedrals that help us look up and to make us feel small as we look at the massive arches that go to the heavens uh, that can really have an effect on us. And that's important for us to sort of put it in perspective. Even when a choir fills a space, a cavernous space, the voices that come are so amazing to encourage us. A person can have a feeling of being overshadowed, or this word episcizio, and it's all about the presence of God's Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting here, again, words matter. The word episcizio is used again in all three accounts of the what we call the transfiguration, where we, it's described as the overshadowing of the cloud. It's in Matthew chapter 7, verses 5, and Mark chapter 9, verse 7, and Luke chapter 9, verse 34. I'll just read Matthew here. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So in each of the accounts of the transfiguration, there's a voice that comes out of the cloud that identifies Jesus as God's Son. It's a very striking reminder of what Luke is saying here in chapter 1, verse 35, where the life that results from the enveloping cloud is identified, he says, as the Son of God. Now, another biblical scholar we're going to lean on here this week, William Hendrickson, he says that the overshadowing or the covering, which Luke is talking about here in verse 35, that is something that's not static, but it's very active. It's creative and it's productive. It causes Mary to conceive a child. And so such activity by the Spirit of God moves back to even the creation account we find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where we hear that the Spirit of God is stated as being present and hovering. In fact, here it is. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, life soon abounds where the active Spirit of God was at work, it's the same connection as we want to see in other places throughout the Bible, such as even in Psalms 104, verse 30. David says, when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. The overshadowing spirit that we're talking about, therefore, not only is one that protects, but it's also one that creates. It's the one that brings about conception in Mary's womb. The call of Christmas for Mary is a call to provide. Our friend N.T. Wright, Tom Wright from England, the biblical scholar, goes on to suggest in his writing that the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary, enabling her, as the Spirit always does, to do and be more than, than she could by herself. But at the same time, the power of the Most High is going to overshadow her. This is something that's different. God himself, the Creator, will surround her completely with his sovereign power. God's power from the outside and the indwelling spirit within, together are going to result in things being done which would have been unthinkable by any other way. At the same time, God is supernaturally providing the details of how the Messiah will be born inside the womb provided by Mary. And I want you to notice the kindness of God in how he provides someone to walk alongside Mary during this unique time of her calling. And Luke goes on to say here, and behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. 
And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. I love those words. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, when we think about the experts of that time in that culture, they're, they're suggesting that Mary more than likely suffered a lot of embarrassment and loneliness as a result of being the person picked by God to be the mother of God's chosen one. So Gabriel comes along and not only delivers God's message with a sign to her regarding this idea that we call the Immaculate Conception while she's still a virgin, but she also suggests that she's going to have a confidant, a good friend, with whom she may share her strange and yet wonderful experience with her relative Elizabeth. It's always better when we're doing things like this, right, things that are unique and wonderful and even challenging, that we do it when we have someone else with us, but someone's by our side that can help experience the journey with us. And so what's amazing here is that God knows this. And what's amazing, too, is that God provided, even for the smallest details and for every emotional need that Mary would experience along the way. It's just a beautiful picture of God's provision, even for us today, for you and for me. Now, as we unpack this a little bit farther, I think there's some interesting parallels from last week's story with the angel announcement to Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, and for what Mary found uh, when we look back in Luke chapter 1. And there's the parallels that we might think about because, you know, Gabriel appeared and announced the birth of a son who was to play a crucial role in God's plan. There was also a son who was named by the angel who was to be born under unusual circumstances. So Zachariah and Mary have some similar experiences here. There's a son named by an angel. There's a son born under unusual circumstances. And both of them were told that by an angel. Yet there's some differences here that I think we need to see too. Even with the parallels, there are at least three different significant differences that are worth pointing out. First of all, the idea of the messenger and the Messiah. John, Elizabeth, and Zachariah's son was to be the prophetic messenger, and Jesus was born to be the Messiah. There's this idea, too, the tension between Zachariah and Elizabeth, who were in their old age, and then the virgin birth. That John was born to an older couple who were beyond normal childbearing years, and Jesus was born to a virgin. And what's interesting here, when you really look at it, it's the language is very similar to Genesis chapter 1. Again, as we unpack the idea of the overshadowing, it's where the Spirit of God was active in creation. With John's conception, it has an Old Testament parallel in Isaac, right? Remember that story, the child of promise born to Abraham and Sarah in their old age from Genesis chapter 21. But it's the conception of Jesus that has its parallel in the miracle of the divine creation. Jesus was born to a virgin, but he was born. And then thirdly, is this tension between the priest of God and the servant of the Lord. We see here that there were different responses that Gabriel got from Zechariah and Mary when they received their respective messages and the calls to understand what Christmas was gonna be. Each initially was troubled, right? They each were afraid and questioned how such a thing could be. However, that's where the similarities end. What happens, you remember? You remember last week, Zechariah was struck dumb by his unbelief. And Mary, by contrast, she believed, the scriptures tell us. Gabriel told Mary of Elizabeth's conception in her old age in verse 36. And the words there are very reminiscent of God's words in the Old Testament to Abraham and Sarah, these words of, with God, nothing will be impossible. We see that Mary 
responded with trust and submission to God's will in verse 38, but that's because she believed what the angel reminded her of in verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God, Gabriel says. And Mary says, her response, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Again, those words, for nothing will be impossible with God. Is your impossible, is it a situation at work? Is it something at your school if you're a student? Is it something with your finances? Is it something with your marriage? Or is it a strained relationship that you have with your kids or maybe another family member that just seems all but lost? Or maybe it's the slate of responsibilities that are on your plate are literally crippling and consuming. Maybe it's a never-ending debt payment that soaks up all that you make and leaves you with little to live on without taking on more debt. I mean, what is it? Ponder that for a moment. Because I'm wondering if, if our call of Christmas this year is a reminder of this promise that, that Mary received, that nothing is impossible when the Savior is on the scene. Let me ask the question this way. What if your call like Mary's call, is a call to provide. And, and like Mary provided her womb, for you it's a place for you to provide God a space to take up residence within your life and to begin to do some work. What if God wants you to provide, we'll call it real estate in your life, that can be overshadowed by him as his Holy Spirit goes to work on you and in you and through your life circumstances? Like for many of us, this process can be painful but it's actually very necessary for something new to be created. And it may require some counseling to unpack it. It may actually take and require a total reworking of your household budget, your personal budget. It may even cause for some time of confession and maybe even reaching out to somebody and asking for forgiveness. Here's what we need to understand as we drive deeper into this message this morning. Whatever God may be leading us to, whatever the impossible is that's in front of us, that we need to know that we will not be asked to walk alone, to be reminded, like Mary, that he is with us, that he's with you, to be reminded, as the name Jesus is called, Emmanuel, to be reminded that he is Jesus, which means he's the Lord of salvation. All we need to do in these moments is to provide the space for God to work, for him to work in our life, where he can take up residence and he can begin a new work in us, in you, and in me. That's what Mary did. And her call of Christmas was a call to provide, was to provide her whole self to grow the Son of God inside her womb. So maybe I can ask this question too. What might you ask of God to produce in your life as you answer his call this Christmas? So the real deep question this morning is, will you provide all of who you are to all of who God is. And as we think about the second candle we lit, the candle for, for preparation and for peace, let us pray. God, for this season, as we prepare our hearts again to be reminded of your coming into our neighborhood and bearing flesh and walking amongst us, preparing to offer up your life, may we understand in a whole new way of how we might provide space for you in this season. Speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Help us prepare in our own lives a place for you to work and to mold and to bring to each of us through your Holy Spirit a growing up to what you would have us be as fully devoted followers of your Son. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for coming and walking amongst us. 
We thank you for rising to heaven and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And it's through your name that we pray now into the week ahead that you would bless us to be all that we're supposed to be. Help us see that and help us to create that space. Speak to us now through your Holy Spirit. We pray it in your strong name together. And all God's people said, Amen.